0: Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast, where we chat with some of our pals and industry friends. I'm your host, Kevin Fuganaga. Today, I'm excited to have back on the show a manager and producer who worked at Village Roadshow and Appian Way before starting management production company Bellevue Productions, where he has set a project at Warner Brothers, Fox, and New Line, among others. He's a Canadian, he's an NYU film school grad, and he's our pal, John Zalzerny. Let's talk to him right now. Yeah, so you've got a lot going on, and uh, let's we can just jump right in, because I know that uh, you've had a lot of deals go down, you had Bellevue had four scripts on the blacklist this year, you had all kinds of stuff going on, so maybe we can just get started with, uh, you know, what's it been like making that transition to manager, because this is really sort of your first full year as a manager slash producer, rather than, you know, working in production primarily.
1: Yeah, no, it's been fantastic. It's funny, I gave it, one of my clients, uh, Ian Shore, uh, who I worked with on the scripts, uh, Capsule and Christo, and who I manage now, um, he actually got married uh, a little while ago, and I gave a kind of impromptu speech at his wedding, and one thing, and he was one of the people who encouraged me to become a manager, and I was saying how, you know, it's really been one of the best decisions of my life, and it's really, you know, it's, it's nice to find the thing that you feel like you're really good at, and I really enjoyed being a producer, and the great thing about being a manager, is that you can be a producer or use those, those producer skill sets and work with, the, work with your writers and not just be a one-off thing where it's like, hey, here's one script and then you know, hopefully we'll work together down the road. It's like you can continue to work with those people and, and grow their careers and work with them on branding and kind of like take, making a great script, which I guess is the first thing is either working with them on a pre-existing great script they've already written or developing one together and then kind of helping develop their career. So you got kind of to take that as producer kind of skill set that you have and you're able to kind of apply it on an ongoing basis rather than a kind of a one-time deal, which is usually the kind of situation with producers, you know, you may develop one project and then maybe you work with the writer again, maybe you don't, but you don't, certainly are not involved on their life on a day-to-day basis the way that you are as a manager, and it just felt like a natural transition, it's been a, and honestly, I love it, it's it's fantastic. It's. I think one of the biggest ties you kind of have is, you know, finding a really talented writer kind of early in their career and helping kind of Break them, get them an agent, get them, get their script set up, maybe get them on the blacklist, get them a great round of meetings. And it's, you know, it's kind of happening right now with one of my clients who's in town. And, you know, we, we met up like, I don't know, like first met up like almost a, year, a little, little under a year ago, developed a script together and took it out, you know, got him a great agent, one of my favorite agents in town, and then took it out. And he's been, you know, he's only, he doesn't live in Los Angeles. He's only been in town for a week, uh, only in, in town for a week, I should say, but he's doing a zillion kind of general meetings. And it's been great to see him kind of go from just a person that I met off the blacklist.com to becoming this guy who's meeting at Imagine and meeting at Universal and meeting at Sony and, you know, kind of really get into the mix within you know, the space of less than a year.
0: Wow. So you've actually signed a client off of the blacklist.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think i found, I've definitely, i, I definitely found him, well, I, I so he'd written a script Uh, that I really liked. It was with hockey. And so I decided, being Canadian, of course, I was interested in that. And so I read it and I really liked it. I thought the writing was excellent. He happened to be in town. He was in North Carolina. He happened to be in town. We met up. We hit it off. I didn't have an idea at the time. And then I had an idea about a month later and I pitched him the idea and he really liked it and so we started developing it and we developed it, got got it to a great place and then took it out, you know, found him a great agent. We actually had a few agencies wanted to sign him, which is always great, mm-hmm. and decided to go with one agent in particular and took it out and the reaction we ended up selling it, which we kinda knew was a sh- was, was a long shot, it was kind of more of a just a really fascinating kind of you uh, know kind of topic that we felt wasn't commercial but we knew that people would want to read and got him a great agent, got him meetings all over town so and we're just and we're already working on the next thing so you know it's kind of one of those nice things where you read a script and you know more often than not you read a script and you're all like oh this is an amazing script i can sell this for infinity dollars you're more like oh this is a talented writer i want to get to know this person i want to find something with them so yeah i found how blacklist i don't know i think i've actually found other clients through the blacklist.com as well you know I, I think it's it's certainly the you know one of the best resources out there
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we've asked that of a lot of different managers, and uh, yet a lot of people use it as a resource, but it's hard to find people that have actually done it, so you are really uh, stretching out there and, and, you know, uh, doing whatever you can to find great writing, and I think that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, anyway, you can find a good writer. Whether you know, I had some clients who were another writer that I knew, and they're like, "Oh, my wife's friend's husband," you know, or you get to that, or sometimes you get through an executive, or you know, whatever, whatever, whatever way that gets you writing. You know, I try to be open to all avenues. I've you know, started working with people off of query letters. You know, like it's you know, any any avenue that gets you a great script, I'm very open to.
0: That's great. You're relatively new to the management game. What are, what are some of the things that you found works? Uh, what the, some of the things you haven't? Well, you know, what have you learned as a manager? this year? I
1: think what I've really learned as a manager is, you know, is, is first, you know, it's about that first great script and then kind of figuring out where where you go after that great next script. What, you know, how do you transition that to paid work if the script didn't sell? How do you kind of map out a career for your writer? You know, how we're, I think that's one thing I've definitely learned over the last year and a half is, you know, you want to, you set your writer off, you kind of launch them with that first script into the world, but then, you know, it's equally hard kind of doing the follow up and being like, okay, now that they're in the world, how do we follow up even if it's the script that sells or it's scripts that people really like, what's the next step? Do we try to transition them towards TV? Do we, you know, I have one client who kind of transitioned TV, I have one didn't transition but moved in, you know, started writing on, on T V show. I have one client who is, you know, about to direct have their directorial debut this summer. And so there's a lot of different avenues and I think you have to work with the client and also look at the marketplace and be like, how do we stay you know, quote unquote, on brand. You know, how do we, how do we kind of work, continue working towards what you want your goal to be? And I think you have to be realistic with your clients, and sometimes be like, okay, you know, because you know, I think a lot of people think that like they get a script on the blacklist or they sell a script and then automatically they're making a living as a writer. And the truth is, it takes a long time. to kind of, It's a marathon, you know, not a sprint. And think that's one thing you have to be very realistic with your client, and they have to be realistic. And also, you kind of always have to be. Open to a lot of different opportunities and, and kind of always hustling. And so I think those are the clients that I really respond to are people, you know, and, there were, and I think all, you know, all my clients fit into this category, which is, you know, people who are always hustling, always making their own opportunities, always, you know, trying to figure out what the next thing is because you can't kind of rest on your laurels because the industry moves very fast. And a good that might have been acclaimed six months ago. Six months later, people are like, oh, yeah, I read that. What's, what's going on? What's, what's next? Right. Essentially.
0: It's always what else do you have?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I was one of my my clients is doing them. I'm doing the generals right now. I was like, look, the meetings occur for one of two, for two reasons, essentially. The first reason is, I guess three, actually. The first reason is to get to know you and and having read your script and liked your script, they want to meet with you and be like, oh, is this person a crazy person? You know, is this someone that I could work with on a project for years? Because, you know, sometimes these projects take years. So that's the first thing it kind of has to, are they crazy, crazy test? And then the second kind of thing they're meeting with you for is if they're not crazy, is there anything that I am looking for a writer on that I can, you know, that they might be a good fit for? Do I have an article or a book or an idea that they might be the right writer for? Like, in terms of what are their tastes, what are they looking for, what do they, they like to write, you know? Mm-hmm. Both can there be like, oh, well, we both really like X. Oh, I have this idea about X. You know, let's do it. And then the third thing is, is also like, okay, so now that I've met you, what do you have next, and how do I stake a claim to that thing if it sounds like an interesting idea, essentially? You know, mm-hmm. um, and how do I track it? Essentially, you know, kind of tracking is a term that execs use for when they hear a good idea, they check in with the manager or the writer or whoever every you know month or so, or a few weeks, till they would be like, so what's going on? With that so it's gone, so they can be the first person in, uh, to get it essentially when it's wow, ready. Absolutely,
0: information is king. Um, yes. Well, when you you just mentioned you like writers who make their own opportunities. Uh, yes. What do you mean by that specifically, and how do newer writers do that? I mean, what's the best way for them to get out there and, and, and find their own or make their own opportunities?
1: I think, you know, I, I don't necessarily mean, cause there are some writers who do this who are always networking and always like, oh, I met so-and-so, I did so-and-so, I emailed so-and-so directly. Not necessarily that. I guess what I kind of mean by that is always be thinking of new ideas and always be like, hey, you know, this idea might be a great web series. This great idea might be a great um, TV show. This idea might be a great this or that, you know? And I think being aware of different way and kind of being a generating a self-generating font of ideas essentially you know mm-hmm. um, and not just waiting for people to kind of walk in and be like here's an assignment here's you know here's the check essentially because so it just happens so rarely I think what you have to be doing is kind of while you obviously ho- hopefully those things do occur you're also being like I have three or four ideas on the go I'm you know I you know I, I met this exec once and I'm like I'm going to he mentioned this thing I'm going to try and follow it up with that idea you know I'm, I'm going to be like oh you like that thing well here's this thing I've been working on you know In terms of that, in terms of not just sitting and, like, waiting for their reps to kind of bring them opportunities on a silver platter, they're kind of taking their, A, generating their own ideas, and, B, taking advantage of any meetings that they've had to kind of be like, oh, I know that Imagine is looking for this kind of thing. Well, I should develop a project. I have this thing geared towards that, you know, and kind of self-generating in a sense, you know?
0: Right. You had just mentioned also web series. And I know a lot of writers who have a script or have uh, a pilot or something often look for other ways to sort of generate interest, whether it be a graphic novel, whether it be a web series, whether it be uh, adapting to something else. Uh, How effective is that? and, And what do you advise writers if they, I
1: don't actually personally. Mm-hmm. I, maybe when I said web series, I guess you know we just did a client who sold a web series to uh, an existing kind of uh, channel as it were you know, um, and so that's kind of what I meant more. I don't personally. If you're trying to get a, 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 the attention of an agent or a manager. Don't go make a web series. Don't go shoot your own pilot. Don't go turn into a graphic novel. Just write a great script, and and people will take it from there. And if people aren't responding to it, then I don't necessarily think that what you want to do is like, oh, I'll turn into a video game, or I'll turn into this or that. Right. I don't think that's going to change the score. I guess what I meant by web series is if you're like, if you're a client of mine and you have a great idea for a web series, then I know people who are at companies that finance web series. You know? Mm -hmm. And we could go and we could bring it to them essentially. As opposed to I think kind of like making your own thing, you know, there are cases like there's a great show called High Maintenance that I think is not going to be on HBO, Broad City came out of a web series, but a lot of those web series are more performer driven, right. where it's like a performer star, like in Broad City, for example, you know, or the Lonely Island guys, you know. Um, I think it's definitely I think it's a little bit more of a comedy thing, which is not, I had to have comedy clients, but it's not 100% my forte. Um, but, you know, to be fair, like one of my clients uh, is a star on this um, app called the List app, which BJ Nova back uh, uh co-created and he you know it's awesome and he, did, he he was part of a live show and he's hilarious and he's gotten you know i think he knows a lot of really great people through that but to be fair the thing that first attracted me was just a, a you know a script that he'd written you know right. um and so it wasn't like i want i mean there there are situations where you'll I was just talking to another rep about, manager about this, you know, where you'll h- watch a funny ad or you'll read a funny blog and read, like, that's how Diablo Cody was found. You know, But I think more often than not, the, 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 even if they read something funny, the first thing they're going to be like, oh, do you have a great script? And I just think nowadays that's where you should focus most of your energies towards is that. Rather than you know having been in film school, I know it's just to make a web series, to make anything kind of physical is a great expenditure of time and money. And you'd be better off You know, I remember when I was in film school, I was like, well, I can either direct my own movie, or I could write a script. If I direct my own movie, and I don't really want to be a director, that's going to cost me, you know, thousands of dollars. Or I could just write a script, and that script might make me some money down the road, and will cost me nothing but time, essentially. Um, And so I, I think that... I'm not a big advocate for the graphic novel, the web series or whatever. I'm an advocate for down the road. Once you have a uh, rep being like, Hey, by the way, I had this idea. I think it'd be well suited for this format, but I'm not personally an advocate for, Oh, no one wants to read my screenplay. Okay, cool. I'll just turn to a web series. Right. If nobody wants to read your screenplay, I don't, I don't think that personally, that's a great art, uh, you know, advertisement for why you should turn it into something to another thing. It's probably, you should take the hint and be like, maybe I should just write a different screenplay.
0: Yeah. And use the energy that, Uh, you put into the graphic novel or the whatever into writing another screenplay, writing another... Absolutely. By the way, that'll
1: be much less effort than having... Like do a whole because then you just kind of you're you're doubling and there are people out there I think who have like one idea or two ideas and they're like this is the gold mine and you know the the, the truth is that rarely is the case you know because whatever idea that you tend to think is like a gold mine I assure you people have already been pitched it 20 times right. and it's probably more about execution um and so I would I would caution people from doubling down on one idea I would I would really encourage them to write as many different ideas as possible if you you know if you Read about a bunch of screenplays. Screenwriters more often than not, they had, you know, written four or five screenplays before the one that kind of hit. And by the way, that doesn't mean the other four screenplays are like gold and they're sitting on the shelf. That rarely occurs. What it more means is that they had to write those many screenplays to kind of get to a situation where their writing was good enough, and their ideas were good enough.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, in terms of, I know so many more writers who uh, write gets signed based on a great spec. Even if that spec doesn't sell, it gets them the meetings, and then eventually they are able to sell something or uh, get hired to write something. But very rarely mm-hmm. does that first spec, that the, even the one that got them signed, it often doesn't lead to a sale for that individual thing. I mean, it does happen, but it's far it's, it's, more it's, common.
1: It's pretty, I always tell my writers, this is what I tell them, you know, has a different job theoretically you know like some and this this is sometimes a hard lesson, I think, for writers and, you know, some 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 potential clients I, I met with, and I said, hey, I like your script, but I don't think I can sell it, and so I'd rather work with something new, and they decide to go with someone else who I think was like, no, your script is great, let's take it out, we're going to sell it, you know? And so, you know, I try to be honest, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, uh, but I think I try to be honest and be like, look, your script's job was to get you in the room with me, and maybe get you an agent, but it's not going to sell. I just, I know, you know, or at least I, I only try to sell what I feel like I can sell. That does Mean I know everything, but I'm certainly not going to blow smoke and be like, oh yeah, we can sell it. So I know in my heart we can't. Um, but yeah, more often than not the job of the script is, you know, take, take the script that, that my client is right now doing general meetings on. We we were like 90, 95% sure the script would never sell because there's built-in kind of inherent uh, logistical and legal issues. But we knew that everyone in town would want to read it. So that script did its job, which is it got him a great agent. It got him meetings all over town, including, you know, major, you know, most of the major studios and you know, it got it did that was the job that it was it was there and, you know, maybe it's in the blacklist this year, maybe not, but it did its job, you know, and that was the job that we designed it for. And so I think you wanna look at each script as doing a job you know, for you, like, what does the script accomplish in being? I think, you know, trying to write the script that's going to sell for a million dollars can, you know, be a home run swing. It's like taking every pitch and be like, I'm swinging for the fences. More often than not, you're going to, you know, pop fly out. Whereas I think if you're more direct and, you, you know, to, to, to tire out the baseball metaphor, if the script's job is to get you into first base or second base, that's still, that's still better than striking out, you know, and it's, you're still somewhere, you're still closer to getting to home run and making some money. And you're, or getting to home plate, I should say.
0: And you're on the field, right? <laughs> and you're, you're
1: I know, I know. It was just to drown this, uh, this baseball metaphor, beat it to death. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think each script has a different job. And there are, you know, there are just rare cases of people, you know, like, you know, one of the clients I just started working with, he had a couple scripts, and they got him a great agent, and they got him some managers that ended up not being right for him. The agent ended up being, you know, or it wasn't the right fit for the scripts that he was kind of going for. And he ended up working with me, and, you know, we just were. Sitting in the room, we, we came up with something in the room that we're like, oh, this is the home run idea. Which very, by the way, that I say that that rarely happens. You know, more often, I would say, you know, in terms of developing ideas that I think are slam dunk commercial ones, it happens, you know, two to three times a year where an idea walks and you're like, oh yeah, we can sell this for a lot of money right. because it's so the the targeted nowadays is so narrow. But I think you know, but those other scripts were to get him in the room, you know, and this other script that we're working on, we feel like we can go get him in a great agent or go back to his agents and be like, yeah, this is something cool. Or you know, I had another client who wrote a script in the blacklist a couple of years ago, and he started working with some managers. And the managers, you know, tried to veer him towards writing this really commercial, down the middle kind of stuff, and it just wasn't the right fit for him. Just you know, even though it was kind of quote unquote seemingly on brand, and so he ended up writing. He wrote a script, and it was good, but it wasn't like I think his heart wasn't entirely in it. And so we kind of worked. We were workshopping, and what like what are you excited about? Because if you're trying to shove you know, a square peg into a round hole, it's not gonna work out very well. So it's really about, you know, taking each script and being like, okay, where is this where is it where's this script gonna take me? And just because it didn't sell for a million dollars doesn't mean it's a failure.
0: Right, absolutely. And you you said um on brand. Uh can you explain what that is?
1: Sure. I would say that like let's say you write um so you're my client, Ian Shore, and you've written a lot of sci-fi stuff. A lot of sci-fi stuff, a lot of action, a lot of thriller kind of stuff. You know, he sold he sold a script to, to you know, Alcon that was like a kind of version of Strangers on the Train. The script that we sold to Warner Brothers was a sci-fi take on kind of Monte Cristo. We sold another script to Fox. That was kind of a grounded um, science fiction thriller kind of in the vein of Limitless. And so if Ian was to turn around and be like, I'm writing a, a, a wacky comedy in the vein of Dumb and Dumber... That's not his brand. You know what I'm saying? I think anyone who read it would be like, well, this is weird coming from Ian Shore. Um, and so I think he, and he actually was one of the first guys who, when we were talking, even before I was manager, he would talk about it. He's like, yeah, I don't know. That's really, like, what the town expects of me or what I'm good at, you know? Yeah. Which I know, I mean, a lot of writers, it sounds like you're kind of being limited. But I would think if you look at a lot of the, you know, great writers and the great filmmakers, no one goes to John Logan and says, hey, John Logan, we want you to write a wacky comedy. Even though John Logan, you know, who wrote, you know, is an amazing writer, even though uh, that's just not what he's known for. The same day, you wouldn't go to the Fairley Brothers and be like, hey, guys, we want you to write and direct a, you know, a taut thriller. It's not to say that they couldn't do that necessarily, but it would be, be kind of surprising. You know? And, you know, sometimes it does happen I think you can kind of earn your way to it. Like someone like Adam McKay, who just, you know, wrote and directed the big short, which I think is kind of an outgrowth of a lot of his political interest. And, you know, if even if you look at the end of, like, The Other Guys, there's, like, a big thing about, um, you know, kind of Wall Street right in the end credits. So it feels like a natural move for him. And now he's, you know, taking out a pitch with Jennifer Lawrence about, you know, uh Silicon Valley and kind of IPOs and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he's kind of shifted his brand to some degree or expanded it. So it can happen, but I think more often than not, you want to get really good at something and then start to move, you know, kind of away from it or, or in, in a slightly different direction. So just one thing, I think if you, I feel like this, if you've written three, you know, if, you, like, if I've read a script of yours and it was really good, it was a thriller, and then you're like, great, I've got another script for you, and it's a, oh, I don't know, I think the you know romantic comedy, I'd be like, well, that's a little weird because like I've read this thriller before. And I know you're good at that, but writing a romantic comedy is a very different set of muscles, you know. Right. Um, and so I think that's what I kind of mean by it. And like, you know, so. You know, the writer that I'm working with right now, he wrote kind of this 80s um, biopic that's kind of grounded in real-life events, and we've got a really great response. And so the next thing we're working on is also, funnily enough, an 80s biopic that's grounded in real events, you know? It's different than the script that he wrote that got a lot of attention, but it's very much in the same vein. So people will be like, oh, that makes sense that he would write that. You know, he's establishing a niche as a very smart research-based kind of dramatic thriller writer, you know? Right.
0: Yeah, a lot of newer writers and we've had a lot of questions about it, and, and people asking about it. They think that it's—they ask if it's good to have a wide variety of s- specs, a comedy, a thriller, a sci-fi. That way, you can fill any gap that the the rep is looking to fill. But in most cases, that's actually a turnoff because it shows that you don't know your own voice, you don't know what your strengths are. Absolutely, like, nobody's good at 50 different genres.
1: Yeah, it's like you on a, a date with someone and what's the worst thing you have? are like, Oh what movies do you like? or what music do you like? They're like, Oh, I like everything <laughs> What are your favorite movies? I don't you know, I don't know everything. Right. It's like, well, okay, I don't really... Or someone's like, oh, my favorite movie of all time is Blade Runner. You know, I really dig that. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I can work with that. That makes a little bit, of, you know, sense to me. So I think, like, the idea... Again, the also, that you kind of spoke to, you like... I, and I think people say, this, like, oh, I won't want to try trying to be whatever they need me to be. Well, that doesn't really make it seem like you have a strong sense of what you want to be, right. you know? Right. Um, and I think that's what people... Reps don't... We're not looking for someone who will be like, oh, well, I'll be whoever you want to be. No way, that's way too much work. What we want is someone who says, this is who I am, this is what I'm good at. And we can help you shape it and be like, okay, well, what if we, a little bit of this, or you focus a little more closely on this. We can help you shape it, but we don't want to invent someone of a whole cloth. What we want is someone who has a strong point of view and a strong voice, and we can help them develop that strong voice. So it's be better to be someone who has a very clear idea of what they'd be good at. They make a lot more money by being really good at one or two things than trying to be, you know, being... Okay, at like ten different things.
0: Right, right. Basically, you're not looking to make the jacket from scratch. You're just looking to bedazzle it a little bit, right? Yes.
1: <laughs> I'm going to go with that bedazzling metaphor there, Kevin.
0: <laughs> um, you've had you guys had uh, four people on the blacklist this past year. Uh, what happens? What happens next to a client? They have a script on the blacklist. Where do you go from there? And and how does that affect how you sell them? But I don't
1: know. If- this, but once you're on the blacklist, yeah. they give you a hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Right. Yeah, I know that doesn't. Happen. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, not at all I mean like look the blacklist is great in the sense of I think kind of acting as almost a gatekeeper thing where if you've been on the blacklist I think everyone is relatively aware of you and it's really interesting you know a lot of my clients who are on the blacklist they were kind of well known in the town before which is obviously why they get voted on the blacklist and then like the six months since it's like they get calls from kind of random people or like oh I read this script you know I heard about it like you know back in the blacklist I never got around to reading it and so it kind of acts as kind of it kind of diffuses out into a larger town, a larger industry, where people kind of become aware of it. But I think the easiest thing is it kind of it's a gatekeeper phenomenon where people are like, oh, it's on the blacklist? Oh, I'll definitely give it a close read. So it kind of it makes our jobs easier, certainly. But what it doesn't do is automatically lead to riches and fame for anybody. What I think it does is it opens a door, and then you have to kind of make your most of what it is. So, you know, some of my clients have gone on and gotten, re- you know, rewrite gigs through it. And then some of my clients have sold web series, and, you know, they're in contention for gigs. And so, I think what it does, it puts you in the conversation, um, and then you have to kind of go from that conversation, and be like, okay, well, now that I'm in the conversation, what do I do with that? Essentially, it kind of launches you to a little bit of the next level. But what you do from it is what you is you have to make of it what you can, and then. You know, bearing in mind that a year from down the road, there's going to be another Blacklist case, and so you're just going to be like a class, I should say, Then you're going to be like the guy who had a black script on Blacklist a couple of years ago. So you kind of have, have to really take advantage of that year or so and be like, okay, how do I kind of, you know, help launch myself? But I think it's, it's you know, I, look, I used to work with Franklin's, and I have a great deal of admiration for him, both what he's done with Blacklist, annual Blacklist and with the Blacklist.com. I just think it's it's great. And so I think, but, you know, at the same hand, you know, and frankly would never imagine to be work this way, it doesn't automatically launch everybody to riches. You know, there's no way it could. I mean, at this point, I think hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of writers have been on it. But what it does is kind of gives you an opportunity. And so I think what you have to do is once you've been on the blacklist, be like, okay, do I want to shift into television? Okay, do I want to go and direct my own movie? Do you want, what do I want to do? And it doesn't mean that, like, once you've been on the blacklist, be like, oh, here you go. Here's the key to directing a movie. But you do have to be like, okay, word, it's, it's a version of what, any, what happens with anybody's career. It just has a little bit more high-profile aspect to it. But I think what it really does is it it gives you a little bit of kind of momentum, and then what you do with the momentum is kind of up to
0: you. Right. Um, And you had just mentioned TV, uh, and I wanted to sort of segue into that. That's something that we had talked about uh, before in terms of feature writing versus TV, the advantages, the disadvantages, what's easier, what's harder, and all that. And uh, you had, had offered a quote that it's technically easier, easier being sort of in quotes, to make it as a feature writer to get your start. But it's actually easier to sort of make a career out of a TV writer once you're in. Uh, I'm thinking yeah, I mean,
1: amazing, I, yeah, I mean, what? Yeah, the actual quote is like, it's easier to break in. It's easier to break in. It's easier to break into film, but it's harder to kind of make a consistent living. It's harder to break into television, but it's easier to make a consistent living. And so what I mean by that is like. Let's say you write an amazing script, right? A great script, and you know, hooray! It gets bought, and, and it gets it gets made. Even you know, mm-hmm. I think it, let's just stick with it gets bought. Essentially, right. then once it's got bought, people are like, okay, cool. So what next? And by the way, let's you know, some writers are like, oh, well, that I'm in the assignment game. Well, when you go for the assignment game, you're competing against ten other people. So imagine you're working on this pitch and you're you're going for meeting after meeting after meeting, and you read the book or you did all the work on it, and you prepare, like, an 18-page treatment, and you don't get it because you're one of, like, one of four, you know, four finalists or, you know, from, like, a 10-person, you know, first people that they went to. And then, by the way, you've also worked on, like, and then you on to the next assignment. You don't get that one. You probably get one out of every four or five assignments that you go up for. And that might even be, I might even be a little generous yeah. in that case, you know? Uh-huh. And so you can eat up an entire year pitching on four or five assignments, none of which you get, by the way.
0: And working, busting your ass, writing treatments and doing all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: I mean, you're putting just as much effort into writing assignment work uh, and pitching for that stuff as you would into an original screenplay, mm-hmm. you know? and so you can kind of burn through a lot of time and then like a year later, two years later you're that guy who sold a script like a year or two ago you know, right. and so what now you know um, and you know but the good thing for, for feature re- for people trying to break into features is like, nobody cares who you are only, the only thing they care about is the script good right. you know, because that's, the script itself acts as like a vessel that like, they only make one of these things, you know And so, like, they can always bring on someone to rewrite you, you know? But breaking a TV is really, really hard because, you know, no one... Rare is the case where they are going to make that you know spec pilot that you wrote, you know, because they want people who can get them to 80 episodes. They want people to get to 100 episodes, Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of fierce. So you're going to want to get in a staff writer level. There's a very fierce competition to be a staff writer, whether it's competition from you know the the showrunner's assistant, or the script coordinator, or the writer's assistant who've been on those shows who like I want to get that staff writer job, or you know. Uh, all that kind of stuff, and so everyone's competing for those same two or three staff writer jobs, and so it's really hard to break it into television. Once you've kind of broken it, you've done a couple of seasons, and maybe you've been on a couple of shows that hopefully were successful, then I think there's, oh, that person, they worked on you know, uh, Empire for a couple of seasons. Oh, great, they must be good, because Empire is a good show and a successful show. I should hire them. And so it doesn't mean that you're on the gravy train forever, but it does mean you're kind of in a situation where you're making consistent work, and you're on a weekly basis. Whereas with features, it's like it can be like it's like winning the lottery. It's like, oh congratulations, you made two hundred thousand dollars, that's great. And that's gonna have to make you you have to like live on that for the next two years, you know, which isn't terrible. Although once you subtract taxes and you subtract, you know, ten percent for an agent, ten percent for a manager, five percent for a lawyer, you're you know, it gets down to a much more reasonable number. Um and so anyhow, um, you know, whereas TV can be like, look, there's other kind of nightmares in TV. You can be, you know, on a show that gets canceled after three episodes, you know, right. and suddenly you're out of work or, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's a similar kind of like who knows what's going to happen, but there's kind of an ecosystem where you're once you're, I mean, you're still having to go up for jobs and all that kind of stuff, but you're kind of, you're at least, you could have wired in a little bit, you know, it doesn't guarantee success, but there, I would say there's a higher rate of success, especially if you can, you know, if you're fortunate you get on a show for two two or three years, and especially if it's a show that, well, if the show's been on for two or three years, it's a successful show, certainly, um, but, you know, once you're kind of in, that's, that's a good thing. But it's very, very hard to break into television, you know. And, you know, so when I'm talking to writers about it, you know, you, you know when I've sat down with agents and we've you know, been talking about writer, TV agents and we're like, okay, we're going to try and get you into the staffing thing, you can be in the staffing mix for a year or two. It can take a while, maybe even three, to kind of get you that first job, you know, because it is competitive. The thing with this, when they're buying a TV writer, they're buying you. Right. You, your personality, your work ethic, because they're saying, okay, this person is going to be in the room from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. or whatever, or maybe longer depending on the time of year. If you're a network show, you're doing 22 episodes, you're going to be there from like May until April, June. I guess June, June till June till April usually, or June till May. Mm-hmm. You know and depending on how long the show, how many episodes, etc., 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 but you're going to be in the room with that person, so they're saying, is this person reliable? Do I believe they can deliver? Because also when you're writing an episode, generally the show's already in production, and yeah. so if you tank your episode, man, they're going, to, they're going to have to rewrite the whole thing in like two or three days, because the train doesn't, doesn't come to a stop because, oh, so-and-so screwed up. Okay, we'll just put everyone on hiatus. Right. It doesn't go like that. No. The train is leaving the station, so they are buying you. Whereas when they buy your screenplay, they're buying your screenplay, and guess what? They can Buy your screenplay and be like, you know what? Love your screenplay, don't love you. We're gonna hire someone else to read it, and that's that. And they don't owe you anything. Right. When they buy a TV writer to work on staff, they're buying you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but what you had said about. TV writing being something that is easier to stick around in, uh, what Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention is because you're working in a writer's room with a bunch of other writers, uh, it's difficult to get in because it's difficult to trust people that they don't know. Um, It's a risk. But also, once you're in the sort of group, once they have trusted you, you have... Anywhere from six to 12 other writer-producers in that room who, some of whom will go off onto other shows, other seasons, other this or that, develop their own shows, who now you have as a resource either can make a call for you and say, vouch for you as a, uh, an individual and as a writer, and or bring you onto their shows. So it's it's this ever-growing
1: That I mean, that, that's very well put, and that's completely true. I mean, you know, I was over... My client, one of my clients is working on a, on a CBS television show, and I went to visit him. And, you know, a bunch of the people working on that show all used to work together on another TV show, uh, you know, three or four of them, you yeah. know, and so you're like, oh, wow, the, the gang got back together, essentially. And so, you know, that, it was, it's, 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 wouldn't you want to work with your friends? Wouldn't you want to work with the people that, you know, what's what's better than, like, oh, hey, I'm going to have to work with 12 people or eight ten 10 people for the next year? oh, I'm going to hire the people that I know are good people. And then and also if someone recommends, like, oh, hey, you know, I recommend so-and-so, I work with them, they're great. Oh, yeah, okay. You take that for – that really has real value.
0: Right, absolutely. If you view it like that, yeah, like a party or something, you're having a party at your house, are you going to invite your friends? Of course. Are you going to invite your friends of your friends if they recommend A party
1: them? where you have to work together, yeah. Right. yeah. Be <laughs> there for a set number of hours and yell at each other.
0: Right, right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, almost – On a very consistent basis, there's, other than new staff writers, and oftentimes new staff writers, like you had mentioned, are former showrunners assistants or writers assistants who also have those sort of credentials, meaning they have the referrals, and or they've worked on that current show so that they know the backstory, they know where it's going, they know all the ins and outs uh, of the show, what it needs, what it doesn't, because they sit in on those meetings. Um, But... Staff writers, other than staff writers, almost all of those writers tend to be people that they know or they know of based on someone else. It's, it's interesting to see that. When you, the more writers we talk to, TV writers especially, there's always that, almost always that connection to somebody that they knew to get a job. Yeah, with. because
1: you imagine you're getting like 100 scripts for one, yeah. for one or two shots. Who, how do you narrow it down? Right. You know, mm-hmm. how do you narrow that down? It's like getting resumes for a job. You're going to, you get a hundred resumes and like one or, you know, two or three of your friends recommend two, two or three people. Those are the two or three people you're probably going to take the most seriously. Right. You know? So, you know, what I tell potential clients and, and also my clients, I would say, is if you want to break into TV, so you this is all what you're up against you know mm-hmm. these kind of, this kind of institutional situation of, of people hiring who they know and all that kind of stuff, and like look there are diversity initiatives and stuff like that which is which is great um, but I think it all boils down to the end of the day I think you have to be a good writer you know yeah. um, and so, but what I tell my clients is you've got to write something that really breaks out of the pack and not just as a good writing sample, but like conceptually so you, I want you to come up with an idea that just if I pitch to someone on the phone they say wow that sounds cool that sounds interesting that sounds different I haven't quite seen that before so don't write something you think oh here's another cop show here's another detective show here's another lawyer show Write something that you're like, wow, if I heard about that, I would want to. No one would ever make that show, but I'd love to read it. You know, like I would say, look at the Lord and Miller shows, look at Last Man on Earth, look at Son of Zorn, look at, uh, I think it's called Making History, the new show for Fox. Those shows are so concept and so fun that if someone pitched them to you, you'd be like, that sounds crazy, I want to see that show. And so you want to write something that breaks you out of the pack, just on a, because con- if, if you don't have those relationships, you don't have those connections, how do we sell you as managers and agents? How do we sell you? Well, if you write something that, you know, like there's a script that sold a few years ago uh, about... A woman being kidnapped by Kim Jong-un and being taken to North Korea. It was actually before the interview, before all that, all that kind of stuff. It was such a crazy script that everyone in town wanted to read it because it sounded completely fascinating. And so that's the kind of thing you want to write where you're like, wow, that sounds really different. That sounds really interesting. And that's how you get a showrunner to read it when they don't know you, when you don't have any credits, is your concept is so interesting they got to read it because it sounds crazy. You know, it sounds interesting. Right. So if, if you don't know someone, if you're not coming in pre-re- pre-recommended, if you don't have great credits, the only thing you got going for you is your script. And if you're, in the they're not going to want another script that reads like everything else on TV, they're going to you're going to have to have your your scripts gonna have to do all the work for you. And really, what's got to do all the work for you is the concept. Is the concept really interesting? Is it an entertaining concept that sounds different than what they've ever read before or seen before? That's what'll get me to like pick up a script and be like, "Well, I got to read this because it sounds interesting. It sounds different. You know, it sounds how." how are you going to pull this off? Right. I mean, imagine that you got pitched Mad Men 10 years ago or 15 years ago, whenever it was first written, when there was nothing on, 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 on television kind of like that, you know, an advertising age in the 1960s. Wow. That sounds really interesting. That sounds really different.
0: Right. You know? Right. Um, now that we've shot down everyone's goals of making it in TV to start now, they're, they're all mm. going to switch the features now to break in and shift over right. TV or something. Um, So uh, a writer has uh, a unique, amazing, brilliant pilot. What other ways Mm -hmm. can they sort of stand out? Because, again, it is so difficult to sort of break into TV. What are some other advice you have if they're able to get that meeting or...
1: Does I mean, we're we talking about meeting with a TV with a with a with a manager or meeting with a with a with a TV you know, person,
0: showrunner. If 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 it's one of your clients, for example, like,
1: they already have a, have yeah. any. What do what I, what I do? Um, you know. Honestly, there's not a hell of a lot you can really tell them to do because you can't reinvent the wheel. Like, if they, you know, used to be a cop and it's a cop show, well, that's helpful, but, you know, you can't invent that, essentially. Wow. I wouldn't tell people, like, go become a cop and then they'll be really good. <laughs> you know, it'll help you in the room. It's like, well, if you're not a good writer, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, you know, I just do the research on them come in the room be affable be uh, the word that I always use is be a good hang you know because you're going to be in the room you're going to want to be a good hang because they're going to have to deal with you for you know 10 months of the year so be someone who has a point of view but is like not you know obnoxious about it be a person who seems cool who seems like you know they would be an addition to the room if it's a comedy room be funny you know speak kind of about your experiences there maybe maybe prep some ideas for episodes you know mm-hmm. not a zillion but like two or three that you actually really believe in you know you right. um, yeah, come and know their work you know and, and refer to that work you know and, and also know what the show is aiming for and don't be critical but be constructive you know right. that's what I would say
0: okay um, and talking about newer writers who aren't yet represented um, you had actually before we came on you had mentioned a funny story or I guess it's an anecdote-ish uh, about how some people will mention the podcast, specifically your previous appearances, in their initial contact with you or after the fact. Um, but what sort of advice would you have for those writers who are seeking representation and uh, specifically for you, uh, what, uh, what advice do you have for aspiring writers who are querying you or you've uh, read their material already and are meeting them? What kind of advice would you have for them? Sure
1: letters. I did say this on previous podcasts, but I think people with selective hearing <laughs> is just write the log line or sentence or two and that's it. Right. And because some people will be like, I, I listen to script notes or, you know, uh, uh, sorry, not script um, notes
0: they can listen to uh, your podcast. podcast,
1: too, but yes. Uh, so I was mess up. I was mess up the tell. I listen to your podcast with Kevin, um, you know, really liked it. I was like, oh, that's great. And then you see the rest of the letter, and it's like three pages long okay. with every description of everything that happens in their script. And I really don't care. Really, really don't care. The only thing I care about in your query letter is what is your script about? Mm-hmm. What is the concept? That is everything else. I don't care about. Like I went and I signed um, a client from SC a couple of years ago and he sat down at, and he was getting ready to pitch me his whole whole script. I was like, so what's it about? And he gave me like the one or two sentence things. And he was like, okay, so we open it on. I was like, dude, I don't really care. What, I mean, like, I'm going to read your script, so, like, I don't, I can, I'll read. You don't have to pitch to me because I'm going to read it. So he just pitched me the log line. I said, I want to read it. And so then we just talked about him and what he, you know, how he, who, what his background was and what he wanted to do and all that kind of stuff. Because, like, uh, it, it's all a moot point. I don't really care what your background. I don't, like, don't want to read your, your coverage version of your script. I'm just going to read the one or two sentences about it and then decide whether or not that sounds interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And that's it you know um,
0: so what I would people for, actually there? delete emails if they see a wall of text if they don't see a log line in the first couple sets they delete and they yeah and
1: that's, that's what I would do too yeah. I mean I, I don't I am not delete them I just like move on to the next one yeah. Um, but yeah I mean like I don't have the time to read that you know I want to read the one one or two sentences plus if you can't like follow directions, which is pretty much the norm that doesn't really rep great. So one of the other things we're kind of judging, this probably speaks to the second question, is how is this person going to come off in a room, if I put them in a room with my friends who are executives all around town, how are they going to represent me, essentially? You know, are they going to be weird? And so if you're someone who can already not do the stand, like, I think it's pretty understood to be pretty standard. Hi, John, nice to meet you. Heard your interview. It's really on the blah, blah, blah. Um, I want to pitch you a sci-fi thriller and then link the like the log line for it blah blah blank. Let me know if you'd like to read it you know best. That's all I need, you know. Um, that, just do that, and like. But if you read like three pages, I'm like, well, this person clearly has no interest or knowledge of how the industry works. It's you know, not only I'm not going to read it, but that's probably something a little bit, a little bit sketchy about that person. That they have no interest in kind of learning how the industry works. Also, this is kind of weird. I get this. I get actually I beginning this more recently. People will send me an email, I'll be like, hello, do you accept query, Do you accept you know, query letters? Please respond. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to respond. <laughs> Definitely not. Like, I'm not going to respond to anyone who asks me a question. Like, just send it or you don't. Right. Um, so in terms of query letters, you know, just keep it simple. You don't need to pitch me. It's, you know, you don't need to tell me. I mean, I, a lot of times you'll be like, it, it, I guess it's, if it won some competitions, that's cool. Or if we got five coverage in the blacklist.com, sure, that's cool. But really, at the end of the day, all that matters is a log line to me, you know. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of sitting down with people, you know what I often look for is, more often than not, and I've actually started trying to be direct with people about this before I even sit down with them. Um, and, you know, if, if I get the sense, because sometimes you'll want to sit you'll sit down with people and they'll be like, all right, so let's talk about how we're going to take my script out. And more often than not, I would say, let's say I'd sit down with 10 people. I would say only like one or two of those people do I actually want to work on the actual script that I read. The majority of the time, I like their writing, but I want to talk to them about Either an idea that I have or hear about any other ideas that they might have. Because I think they're a talented writer, but I think this script was not necessarily the commercial breakthrough thing that we're going to do. The first script I want to kind of introduce them to the town with. I think sometimes people can be very dispirited by that, which is why I try to tell them in advance so they can kind of prep themselves for the so called disappointment of that. Um, For that kind of, a little bit of what I call the lottery ticket mentality. And I get it because you've been working on the script for a while, but like, You know, you've also been working in a bubble, you know, um, under your own kind of thing. But I think come in and, and, you know, have some other ideas beyond the actual script that we're meeting about. Um, Have some ideas for where you want to go in your career. Um, Try to be an amenable person. Like, I'm kind of looking at you and being like, okay, is this someone that I can spend the next, you know, you know, 5, 10, 15 years working with and talking to on a regular basis. It's just someone who's, to be honest with you, interested in my opinion. Because sometimes you meet with people and they're just not interested in your opinion. They just you use a delivery system to gain them millions of dollars, you know? And that's not the relationship that I have with my clients. You know, it's like, it's an ongoing relationship where I'm listening to them, but they're also listening to me. And I think that's what you want from people is like, they're like, okay, I'm going to let's build our, you know, I signed a writer out of LMU and she was, I sat down with her, I was like, look, I like your pilot but I don't think I can sell it. Let's develop something new. Pitched her a couple of ideas. She really liked one of them Um, and so we're working on that. We're developing that and I'm really excited about that, you know, and she's straight out of film school but she had a great attitude and sometimes you meet people out of film school and they're kind of like, yeah, you know, I'll listen to what you have to say, but I, like, there's a certain idea that they kind of know what they're what they're talking about, or which is fine if that's what they want to do. Then I'm definitely the manager for them. I mean, I don't know if anyone is, nice. um, but you know, I think it's a. It's a a collaboration, and, you know, not to be blunt, but I've most likely been in the industry longer than, than, you know, most of the writers I'm I'm initially meeting with have, because they they were already in the industry, they already have a manager. And so I'm not saying that everything I have to say is right, but there is a reason you're giving me 10%. It's not just to, like, attach a script to an email and send it out to 20 people, you know? um and so you're looking for someone who is a collaborator and you're like you know the kind of manager that i am is someone who's very involved with my clients in terms of developing their scripts and figuring out how we're going to kind of get them out into the world and some people are interested in that and and some people are not and if you are then i think you just want to make it clear and, and not just be like a situation where you're looking for a salesman essentially you know
0: Right, and not just collaborative with you, but if they're not collaborative with you, then they probably won't be with, uh, you know, executives and producers and filmmakers and all the people they
1: have to be collaborative with. I was working with this guy, and he had zero experience in the industry. You know, there's like a saying, and I hope, I can see this being offensive, but, you know, which is like, not all writers who are difficult to work with are amateurs, Mm -hmm. but most writers who are difficult to work with are amateurs, you know? Sorry, I think I fucked that up I screwed that up Uh, I think it's like Not all amateur writers Are difficult to work with But most difficult to work with Writers are amateurs And the weird thing Where you would think That people are more professional Would be jerkish But they're not you know, because they, they know, they understand that this is an evolving business, you know, and things kind of, you have to listen to other people's points of view, but a lot of writers, like this one guy I was working with who had no credits and was kind of older, you know, I would say in his 40s, and I, you know, I sat down with him, and he had a pilot that I thought was, was pretty good, but needed needed fair I mean, this is like one of the two things, one of the one or two scripts out of ten that I'm like, oh, that can actually redevelop this and, and turn this into something. Um, and working with him, and, and I was like, no, we did, you know, the concept isn't clear in the pilot, and I was they're like, no, we have to move stuff up into the pile. And he's like, well, that's an episode four thing. I was like, there's not going to be an episode four. <laughs> and he was very insistent that there would be. And so we parted ways there because he, you know, or else he'd be like, hey, do an outline. He's like, well, I rewrote the entire script. I'm like, well, I didn't ask you to do that. I just asked you to write an outline. You know, and so there's definitely a sense of, like, auteurism. Oh, mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, that's just not how the film industry works for screenwriters. You know, screenwriters don't have a lot of control over their careers. Mm-hmm. They just don't. And that's not to say that I'm the one who has control of their careers, but I am trying to prep them for a situation where they're going to get in their room and they're going to be the least powerful person. If you're in a room with a movie star, a director, a studio executive, and the producer, and you're the writer, guess what? You're the least powerful person in there, really? most likely, right. you know, because you're the person paid to do a job,
0: right. you know? To make and, people
1: happy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think, you know, I to refer to Chris McQuarrie did this amazing interview, which unfortunately Empire Magazine has taken down for whatever reason they revamped their site. But he talks about, like, you have to understand that your job is to make their lives easier. They're not the enemy. They're just people who need help. Right, You know, and I think that's what, as a writer, what I say, and sometimes I don't know if this goes over well, is like, I actually don't think being a screenwriter is, quote, unquote, you're an artist, per se, mm-hmm. you know? Um, what I would say is I think that you are an artisan or you're a craftsman, essentially, right. which is you are someone who makes, helps make things, that are, you know, would you say that a person who, like, builds a table is an artist? I mean, of a sort, but I would say you're probably their craftsman. They built a great table. You know, and I think that's what you're doing when you're developing things that cost millions and millions and millions of dollars at a minimum to make. Then you have to, at a certain point, be practical. You know, a writer that I'm working with, and um, you know, we're going we're going to production theoretically in this movie later this year. We just went, through, we, went we spent five and a half hours on a script that was originally 121 pages long. And we went through it line by line with the director on the line, and we cut out 18 pages of it. Mm. And we did that. Just by trimming lines, by trimming a couple scenes here and there, but mostly just trimming description, trimming extra dialogue, trimming parentheticals, and basically being like, okay, we have a mandate from the studio to get it down to under 110 pages, and we actually, and like, or even 105 if we're really good, and we managed to get to 103, which is crazy. Uh, But that was by being really ruthless and being like, okay, do we need this? Yeah, you know, I'm like, so the director was on the line, so there'd be like this description with the shot, and director's like, okay, you can cut that. I know I, I'm gonna use that, but I don't need it written down, mm. you know. And so we were just ruthless because we we're like, oh, okay, we are we're trying to get a movie made. That is the goal here, mm. and so at each step in the process, what is my goal? My goal is to get a script sold. My well, my goal is to get a script read. Then my goal is to get a script sold. Then my goal is to make that get a script made. Essentially, and each goal is kind of like very clear and defined, and I think you have to understand that there are lots and lots of different agendas at play here, and those agendas are rarely what does the screenwriter want to do, what is, their, what is their goal, what is their agenda. Those goals are other people's agendas, and servicing those is what will allow you to have a long, longer-term career
0: absolutely not to say that you can't have your a point of view or I mean your whole purpose for being hired hopefully is for your point of view and your 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 ability as a writer that being said it's to facilitate you know partly their vision as well to incorporate that and come out with the best product not to their you know write a script so that they can go and make it for you it's not that's not the way it yeah
1: I mean you're the, that's kind of thing is like you're in, your skills and your point of view are in service of someone else's point of view um, you know a friend of mine is writing a very very high profile movie with a very high profile director and you know he's like the director's vision is what we gotta I have to execute that vision you know and I can bring my own things to the table but really it's about executing this person's vision you know Yeah, because they're a huge name and that's I have to do what they want to do. And I think that is the truth of it. And I think, you know, so you take that ripple effect from a person working on a massive studio movie and you kind of pull it all the way back to my first meeting with some writer. It's like, can this person get to a point where they can be in a room with this person who is a huge gorilla, the Michael Bays of the world, whoever, and they won't be like, well, no, no, you know, I, I disagree with you, Michael, you're wrong. It's like, no, their job, unfortunately, is to be in the room and be like, Okay, Michael wants us to make sure that we get on the asteroid by page 85. How do we get how do we accomplish that goal, you know? And so it's problem solving, you know, which by the way, the executive's job, it's everyone else's job as well. Absolutely
0: absolutely And unless you're woody allen or quentin tarantino uh directors that's tour hyphen it and not even just a writer director but a writer director of that sort of level that has that sort of freedom you're going to have yeah. to answer to somebody you're going to have to answer to the executives or the ac- or the you know the lead actor you're going to have to answer to somebody there are very few who don't answer to anybody can execute their vision wholly the way they want so. Yeah,
1: I'm 100%, 100%. And so I think when we boils down to those first few meetings, what we're doing is we're like, can is this person, like, I think, can have a longer-term career? Because if they're very headstrong, and they are not, interested in my opinion. way, yeah. I'm the first person they've met, and they haven't had any success yet. I'm theoretically their manager, which is the person who should be able to have the most control over them, or at least most influence, shall we say. Right. And they're not listening to me Uh uh-oh, that doesn't bode well for when they get in the room with the director or the movie star, you know, if that should ever happen, which most likely it will not, you know?
0: Right. And, I mean, ideally, you're the person that has their best interests in mind, because it's also your interests, and so your critique and your opinions and ideas uh, are not, I don't want to say self-serving, you know, in terms of an actor or a director or a studio, but it... When it comes from that side, they have their own specific agenda, whereas your agenda and your client's agenda should be in sync, right?
1: My, I mean, I always tell clients this and potential clients this. My, it's very straightforward. I don't make money until my clients make money. The end. My goal is for my clients to make as much money as possible doing what they love, which is writing for film and television. That is it. Honestly, if someone is making a living as a screenwriter, that is a victory. That is a huge victory. I think I'm going to mention this in the podcast. But I heard this somewhere after like the latest WGA numbers came out. But I think one of the, someone on Twitter said this. They said it's easier to be in the NFL than it is to be a feature screenwriter. There are more people in the NFL than there are working screenwriters per the most recent WGA numbers wow. in screen in features, I should say.
0: Right.
1: So think about that. If you're making a living as a feature screenwriter, you're winning. No matter how you're doing it, because that's what you wanted to do. Now, bear in mind that a lot of these people, you know, like feel like they were kind of like being pushed around and like all that kind of stuff. And you know, don't get me wrong, that does suck, you know. But the goal that we have is to make you have a living, to make get you to quit that day job, get you to focus entirely on writing. There will be a whole other host of headaches that come with it. You're going probably want to become a director at a certain point, all that kind of stuff. But like that's the goal, and my goal is for you to make a living, because when you make a Living, I make a living, VN, mm-hmm. and so it's not a charity. You know, not to be a jerk, but it's not a charity. My goal is not like, oh, I just want to help this person's vision no matter what. Because I need to make a living, I need to pay my rent as well. You know, but the the goals are are entirely linked. Which is, I'm not. You're not paying me a five thousand dollar fee every month or whatever. I'm not one of those one of those kind of weirdo fringe managers. I'm. You know, I don't get paid till you get paid. And so everyone's goals are very much linked. And I think not just that, but you want to be like, is this person, is this someone that I can believe in and have a longer term career? Because a big part of being a writer it's not just being a talented writer, but it's also being a great collaborator. You know, right. and that will serve you honestly better, I think, in the longer term. There are a lot of our writers I can point to who are very successful, who are really, really good at working with. You'll see that particular moves like Chris McQuarrie, always works with Tom Cruise. You know, right. clearly he gets Tom Cruise in a way that nobody else does. You know? And like movie stars and directors will work consistently with the same writers because that person understands their point of view and gets what gets him done things that they want to do. So it's all about collaboration. You know, it's about finding the person who understands you. And so I think this all comes out of your kind of, like, what's the initial meeting? It's just when you have the initial meeting, is this person who's going to be a good collaborator down the road with people? I think you want to demonstrate that, yeah, I can be in the room, and I can be elastic, and I can – doesn't mean that you have to say yes to every single thing I say, but it should be like improv. It shouldn't be like no. It should be yes and, you know? Or if you don't like what I'm saying, you're like, okay, I don't know about that, but what about this? Because we're all moving towards this common goal. So if I'm like, I don't think we can sell the script, or if I don't know that's the right direction for your career, then you should listen to it and then be like, well, I don't agree with that, but here is, but I've listened to your criticism, so here might be where I think we could go instead, a compromise. As opposed to just being like, no, you're wrong, essentially.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> Which uh-huh. doesn't happen, by the way. People just like, be like, flat out, no, nah, I don't think so. And you know what? I'm I'm I don't I'm no genius I don't know everything but I, I can't point to anyone, to be honest with you It's only been doing this for a year and a half Who has, you know, been like, John's an idiot And then gone out and then, like, sold a script And made me look, sold that script and made me look like a fool <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it'll happen one day, though
0: Maybe, maybe
1: Definitely. Um, Just the rule of, rule of averages
0: Yeah, no, that's true But will they have an, a, a long career is the thing, right? Because that's what we're gauging it on Because anybody yeah. can sell, not anybody But, you know, it can happen to sell a script Because, like we talked about, it's about the script Not about them as an individual, per se uh, but having a I think so much career, is, I think you have to, you know.
1: I think so much of this industry so is about subsuming your ego. Um, you know, it's the same, it's for managers, it's for producers, it's even to some degree for studio execs, you know. Right. It's about how do I, how do, you know, what's best for the project? You know, there's a great, I'd recommend everyone, if they haven't already seen it, there's a great, um, uh, Ted Talk that I, one of the Lord and Miller guys does. I think it's I think it's Lord um, does and he talks about I think he's talking with Neil Moritz although he doesn't name him. Uh-huh. He's probably one of the 21 Jump Street producers and he says my the, my biggest boss is the movie. And that's the, the, at the end of the day you have to subsume your ego be like look whatever gets the movie made especially gets the movie made in a good way mm-hmm. that is what I have to go for. And this is this is historic. You can go back to um, there's a good book called uh, the Disenchanted. Those written by Bud Schulberg, who wrote On the Waterfront, mm-hmm. and uh, and Bud talks. I think it's, I think he's talking about working with. Faulkner, I want to say, um, or a famous author. It's, all the names are changed, and he talks about just waiting there for a studio executive, waiting to like get notes, and you know it's there, it's you know, it's in a million different things. It's in William Goldman's books, you know, uh, Adventures in a Screen Trade, where he talks about, you know, as a writer, you just have to, at a certain point. You have to kind of, like, subsume your ego for the good of the project, and it's true for managers, it's true for agents. You know, sometimes for managers, your job is actually to be yelled at by executives, um, to right cover for your clients. You know, that's a big problem, part of what your job actually is, is, is doing that. So I think for all of us, we have to subsume our ego and, and not be like, I'm an artist. If you want to be an artist, just go write books, you know, or, or be a painter, you know. Right. Those things don't cost very much money, and you can do that, and you can you can do what you want to do and have no limits on it. But I think if you want to make movies, whether as a producer or a manager or an agent or, or be in the movie business, I should say, or a writer, you know, the only person who, you know, whether it's an executive or a movie star or director, someone else is going to have final cut someone else is going to have final control mm-hmm. and you just account your victories where they are those victories are all, are usually am I making a living if I am that's great, I, I, that's, I've made it to the victory
0: right, right um, I know you've got to run uh, we st- I still have about 50 other questions so we'll have to have you back on yet again um, it's always great chatting with you John
1: thank you so much, I really appreciate com- coming on it's a great show
0: Um, and uh, yeah be sure to check us out on scriptsandscribes.com. and do you have what's your Twitter? Do you have a Twitter?
1: No you always ask me this and I always feel bad because I don't I don't really use Twitter the only thing that I really use and, and I gotta be honest with you I only use this for uh for promoting the, the company is we have a Facebook page for Bellevue Productions. Okay. and We also have our own website. Um, and I always tell people, you know, uh, the website, you know, I think we have info at com That's the query letter address. If you have a query letter, send it to there. Um, but yeah, just our main website or our Facebook page. And those are the best. Those are where, on the Facebook page and on the websites where we put up uh, all the announcement about our, our talented clients.
0: That's great. And uh, so we'll be sure to info at Bellevue Productions or prods or... Bellevue watch from hero dear there you go um and uh yeah so thanks again John and thank you for all for listening and I'm passing the bar all verses considered like I'm NP and we are killing them everyone I roll with going for the top spot, the opposite are hopeless my flow is the